0: This is a Righteousness, God's Equity, Part 4. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for showing up here today. I thank you for the anointing. Give me utterance. Father, I, I thank you that you give each individual here a spirit of wisdom and revealed knowledge of you and your word and light in the eyes of understanding. Father, help us to see today uh, the overall broad picture of this thing so that it will help us understand um, the specifics uh, as we get into it. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And Today, uh, we got a... We're going to paint in broad strokes today. Normally, how I do, someone accused me one time, we'll take one little thing in Scripture, it's very small, and then we just magnify it and put it under a microscope. And that's probably, I do that a lot. I'll take one word and then, you know, we'll build a year and a half long series out of it, like righteousness. But sometimes what we need to do, to understand um, God's judgments, uh, we need to paint with broad strokes, and so we're going to kind of go through Genesis to Revelation today if I can get it all in. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit, I'm going to hit headlines. (laughs) No, I'm going to try and get it done in an hour. I want to hit headlines today, so if we don't stop and, and, you know, I don't answer every question, because a lot of times I'll answer every question that's in a verse. Every word that comes up, I'll kick it over, kick the rock over so that there is no question, okay? We're not going to do that today. So we'll get questions answered later, but I want to kind of hang with me, buckle up. We're going to try and paint with broad strokes and hit headlines here. Is that all right? Okay, go to this first one, quick review. Remember, righteousness is equity. Uh, I'm not going to go over that again. Go to the next one. There were three kinds of righteousness in the Bible. There's unrighteous. They have no equity. They're bankrupt with God. Then there's the self-righteous, the one who's trying to build equity by doing or not doing certain set of behaviors, you know, the good checklist, the bad checklist, right? And then there's the righteous by faith. We, just, we have equity. We believe that what Jesus did was enough, and that gives us 100% equity with God. There's nothing else we have to do to get it. Go to the next one. We saw that righteousness denotes a red flag, somebody who's in covenant. If, this is important for today, if you see someone called righteous, it's because they had a covenant. The Bible doesn't call anybody righteous that is not in covenant because along with covenant, remember, uh, go to the next one. The legal definition of covenant is that uh, it's a legally binding contract and its validity is automatic in a court of equity, in a court of equity. So you get equity. Part of the covenant is that's that contract. That is valid in a court of equity. There's no loopholes. There's no technicalities. So when the Bible calls somebody righteous, they have a covenant. Go to the next one. We saw that the court of equity, uh, uh, that there's a whole area of law that's uh, devoted to uh, fairness and justice. There's no technicalities. Um, there's no getting off by a technicality. There's no, you didn't read me my Miranda rights, you know, and that, so, you know, and the, the evidence was gotten by the fruit of the poisonous tree and all that, so you've got to let me walk. It doesn't happen. Um, it's kind of like that, uh, what was that Alan Jackson country song, Who's Doing Who and Who's Doing Wrong and Who Doesn't Care Anymore? What we do is we find out who's doing who and who's doing wrong, and in equity we fix it. it doesn't, we don't really care about all the technicalities of it, which is much better for us. Uh, as we get through these rules, you'll find out that because you can make a mistake, and if you didn't intend to, that that won't count against you. But under technicalities of the law, if you make a mistake, I mean, you made a mistake. Oh, well, there ain't no do-overs. Right, so go to the next one. Uh, we saw that uh, the whole point of a court of equity is to prevent irreparable damage. We want to prevent you from being uh, wronged or you from suffering a loss on a permanent basis. It will always fix what was wrong. Go to the next one. We saw that uh, a court, the difference between a court of equity and a court of law is that law is based on the Ten Commandments or common law, statutes and ordinances, what uh, you know Congress and the city councils make and the county councils, and on past uh, judges' opinions, case law. That not so in a court of equity. Go to the next one for me, Mandy. Within a court of equity, everything is based on a single case, the specific facts of a single case, and it's based solely on the judge's discretion. Okay? We don't care what the written law is. We don't care what the statutes are. We don't care what some judge thought But prior to now. In this same kind of case, we want to know exactly this case is great for us because if you made a mistake yesterday and you forfeited your rights yesterday or you blew it yesterday, we queue up a new one today. Yesterday don't matter anymore. That's good. Isn't it? Because I can get a fresh judgment today. Even though I blew it yesterday, this is a new one. Okay, go to the next one. Uh, in modern history, the courts of equity started around King Arthur's time in Old England where the king, with his royal power, decided he needed to fix some stuff that the court of law was not fixing. He righted wrongs with his royal power. And we saw that under the U.S. courts, uh, we did the two-for-one deal. We put them together under one cause of action, so we don't really have a court of equity anymore in this land uh, and really, it blurred the lines, and so uh, it hurt us. It hurt us, because we don't get to enjoy the benefits of equity. Go to the next one. And why, why we're talking all about this is because God's court is a court of equity, not a court of law. Court of equity, not a court of law. And if you think, if you, if you approach God, and this is how our society is, everything is drilled into your head about the rule of law, the court system, and how that works. That's, if you think that that's how you're approaching God, you, you always will feel guilty when you stand before the judge. And even now, if a cop comes behind you and turns on his lights, even if he's not pulling you over, right, and he's going around you, don't you have that heartbeat skip a moment? What did I do? Check the speedometer? I don't have that anymore. You know why? Because You know when that left me, the first time I turned on the lights when I was pulling somebody over. So I know what's going on in that end of the car. I know that that guy is just as guilty as you are of whatever you think you did. Okay? But so... If you already have you have that, if you've ever been to court and you stand in front of the judge, and you know what, you could have met the judge at the grocery store and not thought nothing of them, but you get in that courtroom because you know that they have power over you. So you you know what I'm talking about? If you think that, that's the same set of rules when you stand before God's judgment or the white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ, you will feel like, oh boy, here it comes. Uh, Okay? Under equity, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to feel like, oh, what's going on? Guilty. Remember that a guilty conscience came from the law. There was no guilt before the law. And the law was instituted. It it made guilt happen. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. Go to the next one. Now, I keep talking about this because God's rule, I'm going to keep driving this point home, God's judgments and his decisions and his sentences are based on the rules of equity, not the rule of law. So you don't want to put yourself under the rule of law because under there you lose. Okay, if you are guilty, you're guilty. Under equity, not necessarily. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a foundation today because rule number three before we go into it is that your intentions, under the rule of equity, intentions are what counts. So what you intended to do is what God looks at before He makes, an adjust, before he makes a judgment. Isn't that great? But in order to understand, before we can get to that, we've got to understand some stuff uh, from Genesis to Revelation, really, to see how the rules go. Go to the next one. Uh, equity is higher than law. That means equity has higher jurisdiction or is on a higher level than law. Go to the next one. Equity is important to us so that we understand how God's judgments are made and we want to be on the winning side, don't we? Mm-hmm. If he's handing down a winning judgment, I want it, and I want my judgment now, especially if it's a $2 million judgment, right? I mean, let's put it in quote hard cash. If the judge rules in my favor tomorrow, and I know it's going to mean the $2 million payday, I want the judgment today, not tomorrow. Right. Let's quit having a continuance here. Can we hurry up and get the judgment? Because the faster I get the judgment, the faster I get the check. you all right, y'all following that? Okay, go to the next one. Now, we saw that the, the rules uh, that God hands down judgments are called the maxims of equity. The first rule was that righteousness or equity acts on the person, force them to do what conscience requires. So if you violate your conscience, you can't win in a court of law. Or, I mean a court of equity. You can violate your conscience and win in a court of law. Yeah. People do that all the time, don't they? Yeah. But in a court of equity, you can't violate your conscience and win. So this is great because, you know what, if you made an honest mistake, right, and you didn't violate your conscience, but somebody else violated their conscience, in a court of law, they'd be like, well, sorry, you signed the contract, nobody held a gun to your head, right? But no, under equity, if you didn't violate your conscience and you were just blindsided, be like God will be like, well, nope. That other person violated their conscience. They knew it was wrong to steal from you. They knew that they were, you know, leading you into something. Now, listen, you're, if you listen to your conscience, while we talked about this for six months, your conscience will red flag an issue like me with my rental properties. It told me the whole time, "Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it." But I trusted a certain person who had I had a long relationship with, and I did it. And guess what? I, I, I violated my. I knew as soon as I did it, I said, "Man, I knew I shouldn't have done that." You ever did that? That's violating your conscience. Okay. Now, the second rule is that righteousness will not suffer a wrong without a remedy. So, if you do get wronged, right, there's always going to be a remedy. If you suffer a loss, there will always be made a restoration. There will be a healing, a restoration, or a betterment. Remember, that's your rights. Under equity, a healing, a restoration, or a betterment. And then we said that righteousness hates or abhors a forfeiture of right. Don't forfeit your right. Don't walk away from I get a healing, I get restoration, I have a better life. Don't walk away from that, because if you do, there's nothing God can do about it. Okay? Now, you can forfeit your right in a court of law right? Like your right to remain silent. You could forfeit that right. and it, it, It'll hurt you and not help you, right? Or it might help you. It could go either way. But in the court of equity, if you forfeit your right, it's it's gone. Remember we talked about that last week about voting, right? In the presidential primaries, if you didn't go vote, you forfeited your right to vote. You don't get another shot until the next election. Now you can reassert your right because every case is single. Remember? So the next time one queues up, you don't forfeit that right again, okay? Go to the next one. Now, Here's the overall broadness of this thing, because in the Bible, if you don't understand how uh, the different time periods uh, and what was going on, you will not understand how judgments are handed down. And that's why people are refused in in their religious thinking that God's doing something to them. That the judgment of God came and wiped everybody out. Are there times when the judgment of God came and wiped everybody out? Uh Uh-huh. But when you understand what was going on and what time frame it is and what the rules were at the time in the situation, each specific case, right, then you can understand that God, what his character is, is not to go wipe you out. Because if you automatically think that. A lot of denominations think that all the time. They're waiting for the bug smacker to fall, right? Ooh, they're walking on eggshells with God. Well, what kind of relationship is that? If my kids were walking on eggshells around me, it would be like a pretty lousy relationship. Wouldn't be any hugs and kisses because I'd be afraid, like if I went to give him a hug and kiss, he might be smacking me instead of hugging me and kissing me, when I'm trying to show them love. But a lot of people, that's their concept of God because of judgments that were handed down in the Bible and they don't understand how it goes. So, we're going to look at the history of man's equity and the history of God's court together. How man's equity played out inside God's court. So go to the next one. Luke 4 and verse uh, verse 1. This is when Jesus was being um, tempted in the wilderness. You all remember when he went out to the wilderness? Okay, this is what this is. And I, I want to show, because we're going to set the stage here, we're going to look at the beginning and at the end of really what man's man's time here on the planet. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, afterward, he hungered. Well, if you went for forty days without food, well, you'd be hungry too, wouldn't you? Okay, I'm looking for, you know, chicken wings or something. And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God... Now, how many know Satan knows he is? He knows who he is. Okay? If you be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made into bread. And Jesus answered and said, It's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, Ramah of God. Go to the next one. And the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power or authority, I will give to you and the glory of them. For that is delivered, in the Greek it says, surrendered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. So he takes them up to the top of the world, and he shows them the entire world system, all the great superpowers of the day, in a moment of time. In a moment of time, if he showed them all, he could have been looking at us too. Mother Russia, in a moment of time, he showed them all the kingdoms of the world. And all the glory of them, all the wealth, all the riches, all the commerce, right? Remember all that from glory? He said, What was delivered unto me or surrendered unto me. That sounds an awful lot like forfeited unto me. Do, doesn't it? Yeah. So what happened was that Adam forfeited his forfeited the whole thing over to Satan. You see that? Now, notice next, go to the next thing. In verse seven, he says, And if you'll worship me, all of this will be yours. And Jesus answered and said, look, dude, you know that ain't right. You know you can't give me those planets, you can't give me all those kingdoms, they don't belong to you. Is that what he said? Jesus did not dispute one thing that Satan said except, get me behind, get thee behind me, Satan, for it's written, I'm only going to worship the Lord my God and only him is who I'm going to serve. I'm not going to worship you, I'm not going to serve you. He did not take any umbrage with the fact that the kingdoms were satans and that they were delivered unto him or surrendered unto him and that satan could give them to whoever he wanted to did he say that that it can't ha- no he didn't he didn't touch that you know why because all that was true because satan is the god of this world right y'all, y'all found that now christians we have in our mind that satan is after us or every time we get sick it's satan and satan's on the planet or you know what we have in our mind because of hollywood that he's down in hell right with bill and ted's most excellent adventure remember he's in hell playing twister that's where satan lives you know where Satan hangs out at? No, he hangs out in heaven. Go to the next one. Revelation 12. This is at the end. This is at the end. Now, at the beginning, he didn't, but he started to figure out a game plan as this thing went on. We're going to find out. We're going to look at how, how this thing evolved. Okay? Revelation 12 and verse 9 said, this is at the end now. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. Now, how many of the whole world at the time when he deceived them was Adam and Eve? It wasn't too hard at the beginning, was it? Am I lying? This guy's not that sharp. He deceived two people. Good job. Okay? Are, Are you okay? Now, and he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength to the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser... The prosecuting attorney I put under there, because that's what, in God's court, that's what he's doing. He's accusing. That's what the accuser is, isn't it? In any court, the prosecutor is the one that's accusing. The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which is accuse them before our God day and night. He's on 24-hour prosecuting attorney duty. He ain't wasting no time here on the earth, because what he's doing is working the judgment angle. See, in the beginning, when he was down here with Adam and Eve, it was, it was okay. He only had two people. And then you had Cain and Abel, and that worked out pretty good because he got rid of one of them. You know, but you all follow know, Cain and Abel story. And then, but the earth started multiplying. How many know it's getting harder and harder for him to go to work? So what he did is he figured out that if I get a judgment against them, <laughs> it makes my life a whole lot easier. You know, he's going to the source, isn't he? Mm-hmm. If he can always get a judgment, then he can win without doing a lot of hard work. He's working smarter and not harder. So where is Satan right now? Seven. He's in heaven day and night. He's accusing or prosecuting the who? Right. So listen, if you ain't in the covenant, he don't give a flying flip about you. That's why people, that's why unrighteous people will prosper a lot of times. That's why bad stuff don't happen to bad people a lot of times, because he don't care. He ain't prosecuting them. Who's he prosecuting? The brethren, right? All right, y'all see that? Okay, now, go to the next one. Here's the timeline of equity. Mandy, i got this thing faded in on a little, you know, so I'll go to the next one. It'll just appear. Now, go to the next one, and we'll see. Ah, whoa, Adam forfeits. Isn't that cool? Look, I've worked all week on that. I had to give me. yeah, good job, Andrew. All right, so Adam forfeits man's equity in about 4,000 B.C., okay? It's, it's about 4,000 B.C. that Adam forfeit. He surrendered the whole thing over to Satan, okay? Now, let's look at one scripture real quick in Romans. Romans chapter 5. Now, we're going to come back to Romans 5 a couple times today because it sums up the whole thing in about four verses, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, where I'm going to take you. Uh, We could just read four verses, but that would be too easy. So, here we go in Romans 5 and verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12. So you kind of red flag that or put your pen in there or something, your finger there, because we'll be back to this. "...wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned." Now remember, back in Genesis 2, God said, "...don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." He said, "...because in the day that you do, you will die, die." He says, "...surely die," in the English... In, in, in Hebrew it says die once and die twice. Now remember, he's going to die two times. Spiritually, and then he's going to die physically. Because once he dies spiritually, he loses his own life. His, his, now his bios is going to play out and degenerate. He forfeits equity for everybody. Good job, Adam. All of mankind. It's gone. So now, we're left with no equity. Yikes. Right? And then all hell breaks loose. Now come over here to Genesis 6. Go to the next one, Mandy. Because what we're going to see is Noah is going to get a piece of equity back. But it's in 3000 B.C. Now I'm just rounding off because I'm not getting all the technicalities. as a broad strokes. okay? A thousand years after Adam gives up his equity, Noah gets a piece back. But what happened in that thousand years, if you look in Genesis 6... And we'll start in verse 5. It said, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of his thoughts of the heart was continually only evil. Y'all see that? Remember, evil is adversity, affliction, calamity, worry. So what happened? This whole thing degenerated. Once Adam gave up his, his equity, a thousand years goes by, and now we, we lost the knowledge of good because they don't even think beauty, bounty, better, and the best anymore. Only adversity, affliction, calamity, worry, loss, grief. That's what happened when we forfeited the equity. And verse 6, It repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. And the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and a creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, and it repents me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did Noah? Why is Noah had all these guys? Well, because Noah... There's two things you're going to find out about it, getting equity. How does equity... How is righteousness or equity accredited to you? Remember, Abraham did what to God, and he got equity, he got righteousness? He believed God. Abraham believed God. Remember, so equity comes. Remember Romans 10.10? For with the heart, man believes unto equity or righteousness. Remember that? So, Noah, he believes God, and he proves that by obeying God, and he's going to get equity. See, the rule of getting equity has never changed. That if you believe God, you get equity. Now, look in verse 12 of that same chapter, Genesis 6. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all the flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence. And through them, behold, I destroy them with the earth. Make me an ark. Now, listen. Make me an ark. Ain't nobody, sh- you know, doing any kind of nautical stuff until this time. They didn't have power tools. And then he tells them, put two of every kind of animal into it. Listen, this ain't like a little canoe he's telling them to whittle out. He's making, you know, Disney Cruise Liner here. Right? Now, I mean, no, God told you that. I'd be like, that's funny, God. And then he tells them all the dimensions and everything. And this is how I know that, God, that Noah believed God. Because look in verse 22. And thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, that's Ramah, to do. So if, you're gonna, if you obey God, you guarantee you believe him. Remember when Abraham uh, circumcised himself? I mean, you know, he had to believe God at that point in order to take out the pocket knife. Amen? Am, am I lying? No. So, Noah, about a thousand years later, he gets a little bit of equity back. And looking right in the next verse in chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said to Noah, Come now and all your house into the ark, for I have seen, for, for thee I have seen righteous before me in this generation. Noah gets personal equity. I mean, it's in what generation? His generation. That don't help me any. Does it help you any? No, but what did help me was that God did create a covenant. Remember, if you're righteous, you have a covenant. God did create a, have a covenant with him. Remember when he, get, he came off the boat and he gave you know the deep fried turkey? Remember one-seventh of all his food? And then God said, I'm going to put the rainbow in the sky and I'm going to make a covenant. I won't destroy the earth from now or evermore. And I'll have seed time and harvest, summer and winter, cold and heat, and day and night. Are you enjoying that? We are enjoying that. I mean, you no, know, if there wasn't day and night, it would be kind of crazy, wouldn't it? I know sometimes we don't like winter, but if you're a ski buff, you do. So summer and winter is good. Mm-hmm. Seed time and harvest is good because if there wasn't any harvest, we wouldn't be eating. Would you be eating? You know, wouldn't be any ethanol either. Right? No tortillas. If there wasn't harvest. Right? So we are enjoying we, the whole everybody on earth since that time has enjoyed some of Noah's equity. But his equity didn't transfer to anybody else, did it? It It's in this generation. So we still don't have any. It doesn't help me any. I'm glad Noah got some. And then did the wash and rinse job on the planet and everybody's wiped out. Remember? All right, go to the next one. So then we get to Job. Job is about 500 years after Noah gets off the boat. Another 500 years goes by, so the earth is replenished, commerce is taken over again, and we're all giddying up. Okay, now, Job worships God, but he don't have any equity. Go to Job chapter one, and we'll do a mini thing on Job here. We'll try. Well, I'll probably spend more time on Job than anything else today, because there's more questions and warped thinking about Job in the body of Christ than probably anything in the Bible today. Job was the first Bible, uh, book of the Bible written. Job was. It's the oldest book in the Bible, and it happened around 2500 B.C. 500 years after the flood and 500 years before Abraham. How many know, back in the garden, in 4000 B.C., God told the serpent and Eve, remember, Eve's seed is coming and is going to fix this whole thing. I'm going to get the equity back. Remember that? He's going to bruise your head. You're going to bruise his heel. So God's working to find a way to get Jesus here to get our equity back. Now, he's a a God of patience, ain't he? We're already how many years into this thing? All right, so Job chapter 1. It says, there was a man in the land of uh, Uz, whose name was Job, And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Sounds like a good guy, doesn't it? Did he call him righteous? How do you get righteousness? By believing God. Job is the most faithless person that you'll ever find in the Bible. In fact, he believes that God is doing it to him. He don't believe God. He don't believe that God's good. And if you look in Hebrews chapter eleven, where we call it the Hall of Fame of faith, it starts with Abel and works its all the way down to like, you know, Barak and Gideon and Samson and Samuel and Job ain't mentioned anywhere in there. You know why? Because Job had no faith. He did not believe God. And he because he didn't believe God and he didn't obey God, guess what how much equity he got? None. Is he a good man? Uh Uh-huh. Does he worship God? Yes! There's a lot of Christians that worship God, but they don't believe him. They don't believe he's good, and they don't get equity. They don't believe that what Jesus did is enough, because they're doing their behavior checklist. And all, I'm telling you, if you think about Christianity today, there's very few people that have equity. Because the whole thing has been built on doing the law. Pick any denomination. It's all about doing a checklist. In verse 2, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. And his substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, and all that this man was the greatest of all men in the east. And his sons went to feast in their houses every one on his day or his birthday. So he's got seven sons, and they all have a big, you know, month-long party on their birthday. These kids, seven months out of the year, are having parties. Is Job a good daddy? I don't think so. Because he's financing the parties and didn't teach them to worship God. What he did was, watch, we'll just read it. And, and so it was on their feasting days that had gone about, every time the month is over, that Job sent and sacrificed for them. And rose up early in the morning offered offered offering sacrifice to the number of all of them. So he did for all of them. That Job said, it may be that my sons may have sinned and cursed God in their heart. And Job did this how long? Continually. Continually. He didn't teach his kids to worship God. He's just trying to cover them. Suddenly, Job ain't all the big patron saint that I want to be just like him that everybody claims I'm just like Job. Are You, you probably are then. Alright. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. Now, see, Satan been running around. And, I watched, and the Lord said, Satan, where did you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and forth in the earth and walking up and down in it. So here's the first time recorded that Satan's he starts to he stumbles into something here. He shows up into heaven after being on earth for 1,500 years and creating all that havoc. So he shows up into heaven this day, and he, he doesn't really realize court's going on, and he isn't the prosecuting attorney yet, but he turns into it after this event, because then he fin- he gets traction. And the Lord said to Satan, Hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's none on the earth like him. Perfect and upright man. Didn't call him righteous again. One that fears God and shews evil. Satan said, Does he fear God for nothing? Remember, fearing God is that you hate evil. Adversity and affliction. Remember what caused the flood was that everybody thought, I'll continue on adversity and affliction and calamity and loss. Well, Job fears God, and Satan says, Oh, of course he hates evil. He ain't got none in his life. He's the richest cat on the planet. I Emmanuel, you know, if all you if you're the rich, you're the top dog, are you I mean, really? Is there any adversity that you can't buy your way out of if you're the richest guy on the earth? So that's what Satan's saying. He's like, does he like not hate evil for nothing? And then he sa- he says, You, hast you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he hath on every side, then you bless the works of his hands and the substance is increased in the land? But put forth your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. Now, I said this before that God was illegally blessing Job, but God can't do nothing illegally, right? But under court equity, I mean, know the planet is now Satan's, right? But, God, but the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, right? So what God did is this is really his planet. He rented out or leased out the planet to Adam, and Adam subleased it out to Satan, you know? So, I mean, no, God just can't come into the house any time he wants. He's got to give the 24-hour, you know, landlord notice before he comes in. Right, Satan. What Satan's doing is telling him, hey, look, you, you can't come in here with I'm that. I'm the new you know, tenant. Man ain't the tenant anymore. I'm, the, I'm in charge. And look what God tells him. He said, behold, all that he has is in your power. Now, a lot of people think that he just gave them that power. We just read in Luke, in Luke 4 that Satan told Jesus all this is in my power, and Jesus didn't dispute it. God's telling him here right now. He said, listen, it's already in your power. What are you talking about? You're running the house. It is your house. You can do whatever you want. It's not in my power. It's in yours. Do you see that's what he's telling him? What's Satan doing? He's asserting his right in the court of equity. He's asserting his right that this is my house. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says that Satan is the god of this world. He's starting to figure it out right now. With Job, he's figuring out, I can assert my right, this is mine. This is mine now. He didn't, ha- he didn't have that standard. Do you know God told him that? Is God a fair judge? Yeah, God has to tell the truth, doesn't He? Mm-hmm. Satan didn't realize that when he walked in, because he's telling him, look, you go ahead and wipe him out. If you wipe him out, I'll curse you. God said, it ain't in my power, everything that he has is in yours. I think that was a light bulb moment for Lucifer. Huh? Wait a minute! This prosecuting attorney thing is starting to form an idea in his head. But God said, "But don't. Only upon Himself, don't put forth your hand." And so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, and then all the stuff happened. Right, bad day. The kids die. The sheep's are gone. The camels are gone. Everything, you know, the whole thing's wiped out. Okay. And then uh, look down here in verse twenty. Job arose and ran his mantle tore his thing, shaved his head, fell down on the ground and he worshiped. And he said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb. Naked I shall return hither. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job didn't sin nor did he charge God foolishly. But is he telling the truth? Does Job know what he's talking about? He ain't got a clue. And I'll show you at the end. Now, Now what happens next is that Satan comes back and he says, You know what? Let me make him sick. God's like... I'll, go ahead, don't kill him, but you go ahead. He's in your, he's in your power. I mean, no, that's true. Job doesn't have equity. He never believed God. He doesn't have a defense. Does anybody up there defending Job? What you see is there is no defense against the accuser. If you don't have a covenant, you got no defense. If you don't have equity, you got no defense. And he has no defense. Job don't even know what's going on. He's getting whipsawed. We didn't, he didn't realize we were having court. He didn't realize we needed to have a defense. I mean, you know, Satan's starting to get pretty smart now. Now, Job's wife tells him, look, just curse God and die, right? And then look over here. He's like, oh, yeah. Now look over here in chapter 3 and verse 25. After all this stuff happens to him. Now, this is the first book of the Bible ever written. He don't have the Bible. He don't know what we know. He doesn't even know that God is a three-part being. You remember the Character of God series? Job knew God as a two part being. Verse 25, he said, For the thing which I have greatly feared has come upon me. Is he in faith? Is he believing God? He's believing that the thing that he fears most is coming on him. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. And I was not in safety, neither was I in rest, and neither was I quiet, and yet trouble came. You think? Who did this to Job? Job did it to Job. Job set himself on a course. Yeah, he worshipped God. And because he gave to God, God was giving him back. But he didn't have equity. He never took it to the step of, I believe God. How do I know? Because he never trained his kids to believe God. He didn't even train his kids to worship God. He trained his kids to, I'll cover you. Go have fun. I got it. Now, what happened next was his three friends came over and they started the neighborhood Bible study. Or the home group meeting? Because what happened was these three guys who don't know any more than Job because it's the first book in the Bible, start telling them what they think God's character is and how God hands down judgment. They think why God is doing what He's doing. What they think. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. I want to know what God thinks. That's the only way you're going to get straightened out in life. Alright, now look here in Job 38. After these guys go on for 36 chapters of blah, blah, blah... Right? Then, after this goes on, God's had enough. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is handing out advice without knowing nothing? Gird up now thy loins like a man. He said, Come on, put your britches on and stand up, because I'm going to demand of you, and you're going to answer me. Oop! Yow. That neighborhood Bible study's over. Right, it is go time, big time, right? Oof. All right, so then, then God, now God, you know, you guys wonder where I got it from. All God does is he asks him question after question after question after question that Job just has no answer for. Where were you when I created the foundation of the earth? Where were you when the ice age happened? Where were you when Satan tried to take over the throne and got shot down by lightning? Where were you when I created the Levi- with, with the dinosaurs? Were you even here when the dinosaurs were? You don't even know no- You know nothing. And so that goes on for a couple chapters. And then you go over to chapter 42 and verse 1. Then uh, Job answered the Lord. And he said, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. Verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? That that word hideth is the word dissembler, or uh, to to put forth the appearance that you know something. He said, who is the one that puts forth appearance that they know something without knowledge? To give advice like they know something, and and that's Job and his friends. They're giving each other advice on how God works, and they don't know. So Job's like, yeah, it was me. I, I was the one doing that. He said, and I have uttered things... That I understood not. Again, back to forfeiture. right. If you don't know, then zip your lip. If you don't want to forfeit your right, because what Job was doing this whole time, naked I came, naked I left. God gave, God take away, he's forfeiting his right, and he don't even know it. He says, oh, now I've uttered things that I understand not. It's funny how Christians in the body of Christ never quote that. They quote the good God gave and God take away. But they don't get to the end of the book where Job said, I said stuff, I don't know what I'm talking about. You ever heard this verse quoted? No, I hear him say the first one. And then you could come back from now on and say this one that if you're going to be like Job, then you should figure out that you don't know what you're talking about. He said, Here, verse 4, I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me that I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye has seen thee. He realizes at this point, I've been getting second-hand information about God, and now finally I know firsthand from you what your character is and how judgments come down. You see that's what he's saying? He said, I've only heard of you before, but now I'm seeing you firsthand with my own eye. Y'all ever seen any of that in Job before? You might want to read the end of the book. Because what happened was Job finally figured out, wait a minute, I've been forfeiting my rights. Now I found out from God, maybe I should have asked him first when the whole thing went south at the beginning. How I many know he could have avoided all that nonsense if he just knew? Think in your own life how much of nonsense you could have avoided if you just knew beforehand. Now I look down in verse 10, uh, and God, uh, well, God tells his friends, he said, Listen, y'all better you know, ask Job to pray for you, and, and then I won't fry you. Neighborhood Bible study. So, they come to Job. And uh, verse 10, it said, Then the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord also gave Job twice as much as he had before. And verse 12, So the Lord had blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she-asses, and he had seven more sons and three more daughters. And I'll bet you because he lived another 140 years, that he taught these, this set of group of kids a, a little more than he did the first time around. Now, once Job reasserted his right, did you see that? He said, wait a minute, I've been talking about stuff I don't know. Tell me what i got to do, God. I'm not going to keep running my mouth. I'm not going to keep forfeiting my rights. He got a restoration made, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Did he get the same kids back? Mm-mm. No, he got new ones back. So listen, once you forfeit your right, it goes downrange. There's nothing you can do to get that one back. Y'all following this? But God made it better than it was before. Betterment, restoration, healing. Y'all see that? Does that maybe help you a little bit? about it? Now, what I want you to understand about Job, this is the first time Satan starts to take on the role of accuser. Because before he was running around on the earth, at the end of the game, we see him, he's in heaven day and night. He don't even leave there. He is constantly running this accusatory thing, the prosecuting attorney's job. Why? Because it worked so good for him the first time. He stumbled into something, that God's a fair judge. God abhors a forfeiture of rights. Remember, equity is not when, somebody, when two parties didn't do anything illegal, but one of them is violating the other's rights. Remember that under equity? Mm-hmm. What happened was Satan came in and said, you're violating my rights. And he asserted his right that he had the sublease to planet Earth. And God said, look, it's all. everything is in your power. Now, I mean, now this isn't really working for us because there's still no equity. Job still didn't have equity at the end of the day. Still didn't call him righteous, did it? I'm, I'm great. At, I'm glad that it worked out for Job in the end. That don't help me, and it doesn't help you, and it doesn't help mankind in general. Adam forfeited. Noah got some personal equity. Job just lost. Sleep at the wheel. Lost the whole thing. He don't know what's going on. I'm uttering stuff I don't understand. And Jesus still ain't here and we still don't have equity. Go to the next one, man. Abraham. 500 years after Job, God finally finds somebody that he could cut covenant with. Now, remember, in order for God to give equity, somebody has to give him equity. In order for God to give him his only son, God had to find somebody to give that person his only son, Isaac. Is it starting to come together for you now? Job wasn't that guy. Job wasn't giving up a son. Job didn't, he, he didn't believe God. He's covering for him. He definitely ain't going to... They don't know enough about God to go up on the mountain and have a knife thrust into him. You all found this? So Abraham, he believes God and he obeys eventually, right? It took him a while to get there, but God was working with him because he found a guy that could, would give him 100% equity including his only son. He found that guy. Now, the beauty about Abraham is that with Abraham and giving 100% equity, which, and I said before, I don't know if I could have or not. Probably not. Because God didn't pick me. He picked Abraham. Abraham, because he entered into that covenant and he gave Isaac, it allowed us for anybody who enters into the covenant to get equity. It opened it up for mankind. Now, That was the beginning of it, was the covenant wasn't completed until Jesus came, remember? So what what happened here was Abraham, he opens up the covenant, but there still is no defense. However, now that we have a covenant, Satan has no legal right to come in and take Abraham's equity. Because he's in a covenant with God. Remember, a covenant is automatically valid in a court of equity, and God's court is a court of Equity. equity. Now we're under contract. So what happened to Job cannot happen ever again to somebody who's in covenant because we're under contract. Y'all following that? Now, if Satan can get you into the court of law, I mean, no, a covenant ain't valid in a court of law. It's valid in a court of... So if you're doing your checklist, y'all following this? Tracking with me. Okay. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Abraham because we already have, but if you come... Uh, over here to Galatians 3, which we've seen before, but we'll just hit verse 29, because remember, he said, if you, you already know this. I'm just going to read it. If you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's what opened it up for all of us, that we were heirs according to the promise, we're Abraham's seed because we became born again. That gives us the entrance into the covenant. Okay which we already know. I just wanted to hit that with the scripture so that you understand that it is for everybody that enters into the covenant you get equity. Through who? Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, go to the next one for me. And then hit it one more time because my cool animation. Whoa! I love it. Now, after Abraham, I'm so excited about that. After Abraham, we got Isaac, and then Isaac had twins named Jacob and Esau. Remember, and Esau gave up his birthright Sold it for a bowl of soup. Y'all remember that? Right? And then Jacob had the the, the patriarchs, right? The twelve brothers, the tribes, Joseph and Judah and all those guys. Remember? <clears throat> okay. That's the nation of Israel. That's who we're talking about now. After Joseph, after the fourth generation, they forgot all about the covenant. Forgot all about it. Now, remember when Abraham cut covenant? And he had that vision with the smoking lamp and the burning furnace. Look in Genesis 15, because what God tells him is, I'm going to look at it because God tells him exactly what's going to happen with this crew, even at the beginning of the covenant. God already knew what was going to happen. Genesis 15. And we'll start in verse 12. It said, The sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Lo, a horror great darkness fell on him. And then he said to Abraham, Lord said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years, and also that nation whom they serve I will judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. Then he stops that whole thing and he says, Then you will go with your fathers in peace, and you'll be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. Who is the fourth generation? Joseph and his brothers. Remember, we just counted it out. Abraham's the first. The second generation is Isaac, right? The third generation is Isaac's kids, which are Esau and Jacob. The fourth generation is Joseph and his brothers. Y'all following that? They were supposed to get out of there, but because they didn't, they're stuck in Egypt for 400 years into slavery because they didn't obey. Now, turn over to Genesis chapter 49. Well, let's go to 50. Now, all this, I, I hit this heavily in the Character of God series. I don't know if you guys remember it or not. Genesis 50. Remember, I'm headlining today. If you need details, you go listen to that series. It's online. Genesis 50 and verse 5. Joseph's talking to Pharaoh, and he says, And my father Jacob made me swear, saying, When I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me go up, I pray thee and bury my father, and I'll come again. He shouldn't have come again. He should have just stayed there. So they do come out again, and they go back to Canaan. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father. And they had this big entourage. The whole military escort goes up there, all of his brothers, all of his family. And guess what? He should have left. Because Jacob told him go. And then they came back because, you know what? It was an easy life there. Joseph was somebody. He ain't in power anymore, but they still remember he's somebody. Then Joseph dies in verse 24, and right before he dies, Joseph said to his brothers, I die, God will surely visit you and bring who? You out of this land and under the land which he swore unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's still the fourth generation. They still had a shot to leave. But Joseph was the only covenant guy out of the group, okay? They were all just a disaster, if you all remember those guys. Sleeping with stepmoms and all kind of nonsense, okay? Now let's just keep right into Exodus 1 and verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Ah, Now it starts going south, because then if you look in verse 13, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, and mortar and brick, and all manner of service in the field, and all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. They put them into slavery. They forgot the covenant, they still don't have a defense. How many because on the other it doesn't tell us the other side, but I guarantee you the accusers up there going, I know you got to come but they ain't they're not they're not doing what you said. You told them fourth generation to go back. They, they came right back to Egypt. You can't do anything for them, they're not obeying you, they're not believing you. you can't give them equity. y'all see that? Mm-hmm. Now look, what Joseph did. It was, it was a great life back there, but he didn't go for his inheritance. The inheritance, he even says, the inheritance is the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he goes, he's in Egypt. Your inheritance is over there, but because I know a guy over here, I'm going to come back here. And guess what? That natural favor ran out, didn't it? Your natural hookup will run out. It was supernatural at the beginning, wasn't it? And when he was obeying God, it was a supernatural hookup. He was the prime minister of that nation. When that time ran out and he was supposed to get out of there, now it turned from supernatural to just natural. And the natural faded away and died out, and now we're in bondage. 400 years later, they have forgotten completely about the covenant. They don't have equity. They're not practicing equity. They're not giving equity. They're smoked. Do you all see that? That is in 1900 B.C. Go to the next one. When Joseph was 1900 B.C., now we have 400 years later. 1500 B.C. is when Moses shows up on the scene. And if you turn with me real quick over to Hebrews 11. Hold your finger next to this because we're going right back. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, had refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who is invisible. we have as Moses obeys God, he believes God, he puts his own life on the line, and he reestablishes the covenant. And if you remember from the Character of God series, Moses had to find out from his father-in-law, Amidian, who is in Abrahamic's line, one of the kids that were born after, you know, uh, Sarah died. Jethro, his name was a friend of God. And he tells him about the covenant through somebody that ain't even in covenant. That's how much they forgot about it. Now look over here in Exodus 6. Verse 1, it said, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now thou shalt see what I'll do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand he shall let them go. And a strong hand he shall drive them out of this land. And God spake unto Moses and said, I am the Lord Jehovah. I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of Almighty God or El Shaddai. Remember that? But by my name Jehovah I was not known unto them. And I have also established my covenant with them. Now now we're talking about covenant again. Because he's going to reestablish this covenant. "...to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment. And I will take you to me for a people." And I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under your burdens of the Egyptians. In verse 8, I will bring you out into the land concerning that I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I'll give it to you, for an heritage I am the Lord. In verse 9, Moses spoke this to the children of Israel, but they hearkened not to Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. He's offering them a reestablishment of the covenant, and they said, no, nah, we don't want it. We're in survival mode. We can't even think about getting out of here. See that? So, what they did is forfeit their right. They continued, For 400 years, they forfeited their right. Why did God leave them in bondage? They forfeited their right. God could do nothing for them. And then when he found the guy, Moses, that he could reestablish the covenant with somebody that's obeying him, they still are forfeiting their right. Moses drags them out of there because Moses refuses to forfeit. He does get them out of there, but they still have no defense against the accuser until the law is given. And that's why the law was given as a defense. Because until that time, they're just at the whipsaw women will of Satan asserting his rights and they're forfeiting theirs. They have no idea that they got rights. Y'all following this? Now look over here in Galatians 3 because we saw this before, but this is why the law came. Galatians 3 and verse 17. He said, In this I say that the covenant was confirmed before God in Christ, but the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance, which is equity, isn't it, be of the law, is no more of promise, but, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So wherefore then serves the law? Why do we have the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come whom to the promise was made. Jump down to verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. But if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness or equity would have been given by the law. The law isn't about equity. What the law was was a defense for these people because they just kept forfeiting their right. Transgressions, forfeiting their right, forfeiting their right, What God did is put the law in place so that they would feel guilty every time they forfeited their right, and they would realize, wait a minute, we just forfeited our right. Do you see that? That was the only defense they had. How many know that was a pretty crappy defense? Mm -hmm. Because under the law also came blessings, but came what? The curse of the law, if you didn't keep the law. So here's the defense, that if you kept the law, you could at least have some kind of defense against the accuser who was saying, you know, all their stuff is in my hand. That's why God gave the law, so that at least the people that kept the law at that time would have some kind of defense against the accuser. If you didn't keep the law, how I many of the accuser is right on that? Because he's the accuser of the brethren. You all following this? So during this time of 1500 B.C., till the seed, when was the law supposed to be? Until what? The seed came, which is Christ. Because what happened when Christ is go to the next one. Jesus came back, and what He did was He bought back Adam's forfeited equity for us. We don't need that defense anymore because we get a different defense and that's Jesus is our defense. Y'all following that? Now look over in Romans 5. I'm moving along pretty good, huh? Not bad. Okay. Romans 5. Now remember in verse 12, we'll start there. It said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world... Who was that? Adam. Adam. And death by sin, so the death passed unto all men, that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. So when there was no law, they didn't realize they were settling. Do you see that? They didn't realize they were settling, that they were forfeiting their right, because there was no law there at that time. They didn't realize that they were forfeiting. He said, nevertheless, even though they didn't know they were forfeiting, death still reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. He says, listen, from the time of Adam all the way up until the law, there was no defense. Even if you didn't sin the same way Adam did, which was forfeit the whole thing, remember? I said, I didn't do that. Did you do that? I didn't give it over to Satan. I wouldn't have. Maybe if I was Adam, I would have, but I ain't Adam. So now I know better. I would never do it. You wouldn't either. Right? Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. or what is it? You know what I'm talking about. So listen, from Adam to Moses, he said, death reigned. There was no defense until the law came. But the law still didn't give us life. All the law did was give us a defense so that I wasn't up there in court with no way of knowing, hey, I need to assert some rights here. That's all the law was for. Now, let's keep reading. In verse 17, it says, For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness, which is what? Equity. So we get the gift of equity by one Jesus Christ, and we should reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness or the equity of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, have equity. Jesus came and He bought back the equity that Adam forfeited, and now I don't need a defense of the law anymore. He is my defense attorney. He takes over the spot as the defense attorney for me. So now, I don't have to keep the law because I have my equity back. I rely on my defense attorney. Go to the next one, man. First John 2, and I'll show you right here in the Scripture, it actually uses the word defense attorney. First John 2 and verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. Sinning is settling or forfeiting your right. You understand? It's not cussing, drinking, smoking, or chewing. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you don't settle or forfeit your rights anymore. And if any man does settle or forfeits his rights, he says, we have an advocate. That is the word defense attorney, an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the who? Who? The righteous. He's the one that bought back our equity. He lives by the rules of equity. And now because of Him, I get equity. And if I live by those same rules, it's easy to have a defense attorney because we're under the rules of equity, not under the rule of law. If I take myself out of equity and I start living by the law, how many know Jesus is the defense attorney in the what court? Equity. He's the righteous. He ain't the law. If I do the law, I wake. I wa- wait. I waste my defense attorney. I walk away from my defense attorney. Y'all seeing this? So if you don't dump the Ten Commandments, if you don't dump that it's a behavior checklist, and you don't pick up with I need to do what my conscience says, and I need to not forfeit my rights, and then we're going to go down the rest of the rules of righteousness, the maxims of equity. So you know what the rules of the court are. If you don't live by those rules, you walk away from your defense attorney. And the The law brought guilt to red flag people who didn't have Zoe that they were about to forfeit a right. If you're living in a guilty conscience, you forfeit equity and you're back in the law. It doesn't belong to you. It was until the seed came, which is Jesus Christ. Y'all found this? He said, and he, our defense attorney, verse 2, is the propitiation for our sins. Y'all ever heard that word? It's like a big, you know, religious word, propitiation. Why don't we explain it? That word, propitiation, means someone who will extinguish the guilt that was incurred by our sin. He's the defense attorney that will stand up there, win the case, and will extinguish any guilt that came with the forfeiture of our right. He don't cover the guilt. He extinguishes it. So if you're feeling guilty, know this, you're not in the court of equity. If you're feeling guilty, it's because what's going on? Red flag, hold on and I said this a hundred times in the Conscience Series, that a red flag should go off if I'm feeling guilty. Stop. What's going on? Whether it's guilt from my mama or my relatives or the neighborhood Bible study or guilt from societal pressure or anything like that is making me make a decision based on guilt, you should stop. I'm not pressured into nothing by nobody. Now, sometimes that strains earthly relationships a little bit oh well, I'm going to stay under the court of equity and under the rules of equity because I want a winning judgment and I really don't care what you think. That should be your attitude. Don't get guilted into getting back under the law. Why would you waste your good judgment? Your good judgment as in God's winning sentence handed down for you, the $2 million judgment. Why would you throw that away? because someone's making you feel guilty? I'm not going to make decisions based on guilt. I'm not going to walk away from my defense attorney. I'm not going to walk away from the one that will extinguish all guilt for the sake of, well, I don't want to, you know, cause any confrontation. Well, you know, that's you know, that's not really acceptable behavior in our society. We shouldn't, you know, stir the pot or what. You know, I don't want to make them mad. Well, then forfeit your good judgment, your good sentence, your good $2 million under equity, or whatever it is. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also the sins of who? The whole world stopped the tape. What are you kidding me? It's available to everybody. Jesus paid for mankind's equity back. He paid for what Adam forfeited for every body. If you take yourself out from equity, you forfeit the right. And there's other people, they didn't even know that they could get their equity back. They didn't know they lost it. It's still available to them, but they're forfeiting the right to have this defense attorney, who is the dream team of all defense attorneys, stand before the judge and go to work on your behalf. You understand that? I ain't afraid of judgment anymore. Remember what I said in the beginning about the white throne judgment and the cops coming behind you and you feel like, oh, what I did wrong? You don't have that feeling anymore if you know he's your defense attorney. Are you sweating it? Man, I'm call my attorney. I'm not you know, I'm not answering any questions. I'm not saying anything. Call my attorney. What? I'm gonna lawyer up. Did you all follow this? And with this lawyer, it's I'm golden. Why would you throw that away? I mean, really. You know He's going to get you off every time. That's what it says right there. He's going to extinguish the guilt incurred If you did anything wrong, He's going to get you off. Why would you throw that away? And we throw it away by not living by the rules of equity and the rules of this court. Because if you walk away from equity and you put yourself back under the law, Jesus ain't the defense attorney under law. There is no defense attorney under law. You defend yourself under law. By did you keep it or did you not keep it? Do you get blessing or do you get curses? And Galatians 3.10 said that if you live under the law, you're under the curse because you can't keep it. So if you want to defend yourself, isn't that what self-righteous people do though? The ones that are trying to build equity with God, they defend themselves. Don't defend yourself. I don't have to defend myself. Don't back into that corner or happen to defend yourself or your actions. And Adam started it, didn't he? He immediately started to, oh, that woman you gave me. And then she said, the snake. And the snake's like, Satan, you know, got in me. I don't know what happened. <laughs> right? And, 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 and that nature is that we want to defend ourselves. I'm never going to defend myself. If I do, Somebody better smack me and go. You know what? You're just forfeiting your right under equity, because it is our first impulse to defend ourselves. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna throw myself on the mercy of the court and know that my dream team defense attorney. I'm lawyering up. Is it gonna be you know? Is it gonna be hard here on the earth sometimes? Yeah. Will people think different of you? Who cares? Because guess what? When when the great white throne judgment does happen, God said everyone is going to give an account for them. Self, and you know what my account is going to be? Talk to my attorney. That's my account under this. That's it. But if I take myself out of this, then I'm going to try and start listing off, you know, this, that, and this, and well, you know, and then you know I did good stuff, and sometimes I blew it. And now you're in the, that law business of defending yourself. I'm not self-righteous. I'm not trying to build my own equity. What Jesus did is enough. Talk to my attorney. Zip it. You're the client. Just sit there and be quiet. That, you know what? You want to help yourself? Sit there and let Jesus do His work and be quiet. Don't defend yourself. Don't jump up in the middle of the court and be like, He's lying! I can't believe Satan's lying about that! I didn't. Right? You ever seen that nonsense in those court dramas where the client won't shut up? And then the judge is like, bound him, gag him, get him out of here. What? Because he's hurting himself. You never help yourself by doing that. Yet we do it all the time. I want you to get this picture in life that you are constantly in court. Look, Satan is always in court, okay? He's always up there prosecuting you. And he's got the docket full. And the next brother and the next one, the next brother, the next brother, the next sister, whatever. He's going, the next one that's in covenant, he's going to accuse. Understand that everything you do in life, you're looking for that judgment. Do not get out of the court of righteousness and understand that you are there constantly. Your prayer life and your prayer time should be approaching the bench. I know we call it the throne, but the throne is also the bench. Because remember, in a court of equity, who's the one that makes judgments? The king with royal power, which means his court was always held before his throne. So when you come before the throne, know that I've got a defense attorney that's going to take care of this. Every time that I'm praying or I enter in, you should be there constantly. You get on your knees, I'm in the court. You want to, really, a lot of your prayer time should be discussing with your defense attorney what you need to be doing. And let Him talk to the Father on your behalf. Not defending yourself and not the, oh God, why is this happening and why are you doing this to me? Or, you know, or doing your little you know, penance list of, I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that. And remember the little confess your sins? First John 9 we We'll get on that again. We've done it before though. That First John nine. Is not about you going up there and asking for forgiveness, because he said he already forgave you. In fact, not just your sins, but the sins of who? The whole, the whole world. First John one nine is about you recognizing I'm forfeiting my right here. Confess means acknowledge. I acknowledge and recognize that I'm settling for less. Then you go to your defense attorney, the advocate, and say. I'm settling. Can you help me get out of this? And then it says, He's faithful and just to cleanse you from all what? Unrighteousness, which means lack of equity. Did it say He gave you equity? No, He said He wiped out the negative and He brings you back up to zero level. Alright, now we're at zero. Most Christians, they keep going back down into unrighteousness where we have lack and poverty and sickness, right? And then we confess, oh, I'm, oh now I recognize now I'm messing up. Then God wipes out that settlement and brings you back to zero. And then we do that again and we come back up to no unrighteousness. We wipe out that lack of equity and then we go back down into a negative and come back up to zero instead of going forward. Let's get out of that cycle, right? And go forward to where we have our equity showing up in our life. Remember, the equity or the righteous... Of God is revealed from faith to faith. And remember that faith was that you believe God and do what He asked you to do. Who got equity by doing that? Noah, Abraham, not Job. So you can have a Job life, or you can have Abraham, Noah, you can have Moses, you can have Jesus. Because really, isn't Jesus the one that, I mean, really the epitome of faith is that He did what the Father asked Him to do. And he obeyed and he went to the cross and he did step number nine so that we could have our equity back. Amen. Stand to your feet. With me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word sealed in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come alongside us this week. Help us to remember not to forfeit our rights under equity. Help us to remember that we do have a defense attorney and that we don't have to defend ourselves and that we refuse to defend ourselves but always defer to Jesus Christ, our Advocate. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.